today really is special for us. Um, many of you guys know Danny, um, but many of you don't. Uh, it's interesting. How many of you guys either uh, have any experience serving in the military or have loved ones or family that have served in the military before? Raise your hand. Let me see it. Hi. Okay, great. A lot of us. One of the things that my wife Ebony said when we were dating was she said, if you ever join the military, um, I'm leaving you because she didn't want me to have to go fight in war or anything like that. Uh, It's interesting because if you think about reality um, in a spiritual sense, church planning and ministry, that's exactly what it is. It's war, man. It's absolute war. The battleground is not necessarily the physical realm. It's the spiritual realm, and it's a battle for the belief of your heart. It's a battle for your soul. Um, And the reason I shared that I'm talking about this theme of war is like, I've had the privilege of standing shoulder to shoulder with this man in battle. And there's something about, if you've ever, like, friends and family that have served in the military, they have this close relationship with, with men and women that they've battled with that's like, it's just, it bonds you together, like, honestly, like, few things can. Um, and I can honestly say, as, as someone who has, like I said, stood shoulder to shoulder with this man in the battle, the warfare of church planning, there's something about battle. It really kind of shows you what's really going on underneath all this. It shows you who you really are. It shows you what you're really made of because your fears are exposed and, and, and it's a struggle and it's hard and there's, there's really amazing things that happen, amazing victories, but church planning is really hard. And I've watched this man. I mean, you'll see Danny in a second. He's ripped. He's buff, okay? But as strong as Danny is and is with his muscles, you know, like his physical muscles, I've watched this man battle and I've watched his character and his integrity and his faith get challenged in him respond in such a way where the church that he leads in the South Bay of San Diego is like stable and it's healthy. And a lot of that's been on the, blo- on the backs of this couple right here in, a, in an amazing way. But I share all that to tell you like I love him like a brother. I trust him explicitly. Um, you're going to love him too. Danny's the kind of guy, like, he talks and he, like, sneezes and you're like, oh, he loves me and Jesus loves me. Like, he has a gift with people. He's honestly the best pastor I know. Um, He pastors me oftentimes. Uh, I cannot encourage you enough to give this man your attention, not because he's a special, he really is a special person, but more so than that, the Spirit of God is inside of him and he will manifest himself and bless you through the gift that this man is. So I'm going to call you up, Danny. Here's the crazy thing about Danny is, is, as special and as amazing as he is, his wife's even better. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. So I'm going to pray for Danny, uh, and then we're going to get started. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, God, I love this man so much. I'm so grateful for the ways that you have cared for me and cared for your um, your global church family through this man. And I just pray, Lord, that you would would minister to us through him. He is such a gift, like the person that he is, his personality, his mind, his wit, his heart. I pray that nothing would get in the way of us experiencing um, your love, your mercy, your grace through the unique gift that Danny is to us. So we love you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you. Uh, Really quickly, we want to create a culture of honor here. It matters to us. You haven't heard him say a word. Okay, but what I'm going to ask you to do is welcome him as loudly as you possibly can in about three seconds because we're people of grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So as a physical act of grace, would you warmly welcome him before he even preaches a word? Ooh, thanks, man. Tom, that was a 
way too kind, and I, don't, I feel like I don't deserve that. Um, but the pressure is on. I feel like I have to deliver, but God's going to do that. Amen? Guys, I am so stoked to be with you. Honestly, I've been looking forward to this date. Um, my name is Danny. Like you said, we're over at Restored Church South Bay, in, which is in Chula Vista. Do you guys know where that is? Like minutes from the border. And we wouldn't be here, honestly, if it wasn't for some key people that are in your community now. I mean, like, Ebony and Tom were crucial at a time, like he said, it was very crushing. It is crushing at times, but they came at such a timely moment. And then Cassie, Mark, Colton, even Raquel, Chad, Melissa, Raquel would even serve in Uptown and come and help us with worship at the time. So you have, your leaders helped us um, get off the ground, and it's just an honor, to be honest, to, to come at this time in this season. Um, but like I said, I, I am, I didn't say this yet, but I'm Filipino. And uh, so if you didn't know you had a Filipino brother, you got one now. Yeah. You got one other one right here. That's Marlino and, and Mary Tess, part of your community. Actually, fun fact, they knew, uh, they knew us before we even were together. And he DJed my wedding. Yeah. He was actually, can I put you on blast, bro? I will. He was one of the top DJs in San Diego at Jam and Z90, the five foot of funk right there. Yeah. But we are a family. Like, you've heard that all morning. You know why we're family? It's because of the blood that was shed on the cross. That's the only reason why we can even say that. It's not because of the blood that courses through our veins. It's the blood of the cross that makes us family. And you guys are a brand new branch of this family tree. It's really cool, guys. Restored Church Temecula, you guys are a brand new family. And maybe today's your first time here. Or maybe this is, you've been coming since the launch. But you're part of this new chapter of God's story of restoration and redemption of what he's doing. And as I was preparing, I was, I was thinking about how many people come into our churches and how many people, and just not even just at Restored Church, but a lot of people come into churches kind of shopping. Maybe they're, they're, they're church hopping and they're looking for like a new community, kind of like the way we look for like new vehicles. Or like, should I invest in that timeshare? What are the amenities? You know, like, like kind of that idea. And I, I came across um, something that reminded me, this is kind of like a, I don't know if this is embarrassing, but quick confession. I love those shows, like on the HGTV, you know, those shows where they buy a house and they flip it and then the couple has to decide, oh, which house are they going to go with? And then you get to see that whole transformation. You know, the, what are the shows like? Uh, Fixer Upper is my favorite, like Joanna and um, Chip Gaines. And then House Hunters is another one. So that show, on YouTube, there's this Christian comedian, I don't know if you heard of him, John Christ. He made a spoof based on uh, House Hunters called Church Hunters. And so this spoof follows a couple that is, is looking for a brand new church home, this brand new place. And there's two episodes so far, and this is the first one. I wanted to show you the second one, but it wouldn't make any sense unless you saw this one. So could we play that, and um, then I'll unpack it. Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They are young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sites, ask some questions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? Right. I, I go to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen. It's just... Okay, you cry during Cake Boss. So, like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. Really good, but we want we want serious yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm-hmm. know? 
we're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick. Hey guys, What's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Hey guys, welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, wow. that's good. Big deal. He does dress his age though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Because oh. there's holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. Frayed? Oh. No, okay, got it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So hey, let me show you around. Okay, right, come on. I do love this lobby. It's a great lobby. You know, yeah. it's not too big, not too small. Yeah. It should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits, so if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yes. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No, I, First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Okay. Now remember, it's pretty traditional here. So, when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down low. Got it, <laughs> yeah. But the one knock on this church, they still use the child care numbering system on the screens. Ooh, oh. for the yeah. Yeah. Or as the moms like to call it, the Sanctuary Walk of Shame. Yeah. <laughs> The Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional for, for us. For us, I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do, we like Feels it. Great. Yeah. You know, it's diverse, but it's not like too diverse, you know? Scripture heavy sermons? Oh, or, yeah. 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 What about, uh, is it community oriented? Absolutely. Great. Oh, women in ministry? The parking situation, you guys got to see it. Super rare nowadays. Come with me. There's like a, a maybe for when my parents we'll come into to town yeah. for a church for Christmas, Easter type of church. Like a holiday, holiday type church. One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join. Perfect. Okay. And then Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. You're just, you're just going to put that out there? Hey, just God like knows that. your heart, okay? <laughs> on the next episode of Church Hunters I think you're really going to love this place They take relevance to a whole new level This church identifies as interdenominational This pastor speaks out of a brand new translation It's the Tumblr Bible <laughs> You guys can check it out on YouTube Church Hunters episode 2 is pretty hilarious But I didn't want the whole sermon to be about that But you can see that It's pretty, it's pretty silly I mean, there's something obviously wrong about this whole concept of church homes, but we all find it funny, but I want to ask why. Like, why is that funny? Like, why is that silly? I think it's because, let me ask it this way. Is attending a Sunday service really enough in understanding who a church is? That's what they're doing. It's like, is going to Sunday only enough to understanding who a church is? You guys catching the problem there? Here's how I kind of want to unpack that problem. Um, I have a video of my kids, and you're kind of going to get a, personality, uh, a, a glimpse of their personalities. Just in these 13 seconds, I have two boys. Uh, one's five, one is two. Their names are Jackson and Josiah. And um, this is them at, I don't know if you've been to Disneyland. Recently, we were gifted some uh, passes. We went to the new Disney Junior Live show, which is over-the-top awesome. And we went in, and this is uh, 13 seconds of them before the show even starts. (laughs) You want to play it again? Play it one more time, only because now you know what to look for. Like, you can kind of see... 
Like, Josiah is a two-year-old. He doesn't even get phased. He looks mad that his brother's face is in the way. (laughs) Those are my boys. And actually, Mark Logue saw that uh, video. He goes, that was me and Tom's childhood. Right there, right there. I would just be doing whatever I wanted. And like, bam, Tom's face, right? Right in the way. And I was just thinking how, if you look at my boys... The way I talk about them, Jack, Jackson's the older one. He's energetic and he's, he's effortlessly joyful. He has this quality about him. He doesn't even know that he does this for me and Monique, but he just knows when we need his presence. He knows when we're unhappy. He knows how to make us feel alive again. And he, he's so empathetic. And then Josiah, although he's a little bit rougher for sure, but he has this like tenderness that Jackson doesn't have, as sensitive as he is. Josiah, when we're putting him to sleep or when we're reading him a story at night, going through the Jesus Storybook Bible, while he's listening to us read, he always wants to, like, do this to our face, like we're dogs. Like, and he just caresses us at night, and that's how he goes to bed often, just kind of tenderly caressing our faces. If you ask me, my boys are like, they sound like angels, but you know who really knows the truth about our kids? Not just uh, their grandparents who are in the back today, But those who serve in our kids' ministry know who my kids are for sure. Every week, they know. They know that they are not perfect angels. They know that Jackson does not always share. Does Jackson always feel like listening to directions? No. I mean, there was one day in preschool last this this past year, we knew he had leadership qualities, but I didn't know it was on this level. He Preschool, imagine this, 25 four to five-year-olds, Jackson gets on the counter in his classroom and just starts dancing. He just starts dancing, and then people are like, yeah, Jackson, and he goes, join me, join me, and they all go up there, and the teachers and the two TAs are going crazy, and obviously we had to talk <laughs> that, that day, and as she was like telling us a story, I was like, he did that? Like, he recruited? That's, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> i just kind of like proud of him. Didn't say that out loud. Um, and does Josiah, does Josiah's tenderness as he touches her face, does that translate to gentle hands during kids' ministry? Not always. That's why he's not here today. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. He's, he's down in Chilavista with my parents. It's also like you guys don't need any more kids. <laughs> From what I hear, we didn't want to bring them um, <laughs> to help you guys out. But here's what I'm getting at. Those who actually experience my kids on a regular basis... Those who actually see my kids in the middle of the week at count- when they come over for counseling sessions or family outings, those who engage with my kids at church functions, kind of like the July 4th thing that you had or like the things that we have, those of you that see my kids out, out at other kids' birthday parties, you know. You know a little bit more than what I just tell you because you've experienced them. The same thing is true about church. You can't learn about who a church is simply by just passing through or hearing about them from their members, or just like stopping by. You, just like Jackson Josiah, you have to start to learn who, who a church is by actually engaging with her. The Bible is personified, like talks about her, the bride. Jesus is a bride. So go to her outings. Go to her meetings. Get to know her people. Go to her people's birthday parties. Invite other people to those things. Go to the restored retreat that's coming. And I think that it's registration's closed. You had the Reagan Sports Park. Engage your leadership. That's what you really start to understand what a church's culture is like. So what should, I just want to pose this question, what should our, our church culture be like then? What should our church culture be like? Before 
I want to define that. I kind of want to go back to just defining what is culture. Do you know how to define that? What is culture? And I was looking through it, and this is one of um, the most general definitions of it. This is what culture is defined as. It's the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution, organization, or community. So what does that mean for us, the church? How should church culture be like? Well, our, our shared values, attitudes, goals, and practices should be characterized by this undeserved love and grace and mercy that we have been recipients of. Undeserved grace, love, and mercy. In other words, our attitudes, values, goals, and practices should reflect God's grace that has been given to us. So we get to graciously bestow that to other people. Make sense? I mean, that's the reason why John, in John 13, Jesus says, by this, the people of this world will know that you're actually mine, is the way that you guys love each other. The culture of love that people experience, that's how they'll know that you're even a disciple. In Mark 12, that, I mean, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. He's talking about this culture. And today, this is what I want to talk about, how we, the church, can create this culture of grace, this culture of undeserved love and kindness, not just on Sundays, though, but every single day that we are given. So we're going to be in Romans. Um, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be in verse 1. If you don't have it, I believe we'll have it on the, on the screen for you. But as we go there, before I even dive into God's word, is it cool if I just pray? It's not like you have a choice. I'm asking to be polite, but I'm going to pray. Cool? Let me pray for us. Father God, I just want to pray for us, your church. I desire for us to continually grow into a church that reflects your love, your kindness, and your grace. Not out of a place of having to earn your love, kindness, and grace, but from a place of already having it through Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry for the ways, personally, that I've failed to reflect your goodness and your kindness and your patience towards others. But thank you, Jesus, for covering all of that through your perfect life on my behalf and the death on the cross. Today, help us to go deeper in our understanding and experience of the goodness found in the good news so that we can reflect that same goodness to other people. It's in your name we pray, the family said. Amen. So for those of you that call, that you've been, maybe you've decided already, you call this your, your home church, I have a question for you. Have you ever stopped and wondered and thought about what your culture is here? I know you're new, but there's already a culture um, developing. Like, how would you describe you as a church? What are your attitudes, goals, values, practices that reflect who you are and who Jesus is? And I ventured out and I asked a few people from your church. And this is some of the, the answers that I got in, in, in a roundabout way. It's like there's a strong culture of exploration and rediscovery and an excitement of like, what is God doing? That this is a new thing. You're, if you're looking at the seasons of fall, spring, summer, and winter, you guys are like in this spring season. Spring is new life, new chapter, new beginnings. So people are being reawakened. That's what the culture is. And then other people were saying, hey, there's, a, there's definitely a culture of family-orientedness. But then I had the question, I was like, well, what kind of family are you talking about? Is it a family of orientedness, family of God? Or is it like the nuclear immediate family of orientedness? Because if it's this one, I just want to ask a question. How does this culture, if it's about your immediate family, how does that make people feel if they're not in that same place? If they are not married, if they don't have kids, how does that affect that culture? You know? And so... I heard another one's like, there's definitely a baby-making culture here. 
<laughs> I was like, okay, I get that. I was just thinking, it was like, you know what? I was thinking about even doing this with us because we have about 50 plus kids. And we've been talking about it. I was like, man, if you check in, not that we can make it a rule or like enforce it, but I just think it's a good idea. <laughs> We're talking about it. If you have like two or more kids and you're checking them in, you just have to serve. Like in kids ministry, we're a family. Like, so like how many kids you got? <laughs> like, oh, we're signing you up next week, right? But it just makes sense. Like every, every month, everybody serves, especially if you're like checking in your kids. It makes sense because we take care of each other's families, yeah? And I, I asked, I didn't want to just ask that to here. I had to venture out and ask that to us, like as we stored for South Bay. And I was actually really nervous to ask that. I was like, oh man, like what are they going to say? And they're saying, well, like I feel like Danny, you cry a lot. So there's like a culture of vulnerability, <laughs> For sure, but that like transcends into like the GC leaders. They're not afraid to to like invite people into their current fights. Like think about that. I know that for us, so there's always that temptation of like, oh, do I want to share a current fight that we're actually having, or do you want to wait until we're on the victory side? And we're like, yeah, and then Jesus like did this, and we're good now, you know. But people are like sharing this is happening right now. We're not in a good place, and we decided to host anyway tonight because we had no choice. <laughs> Like that kind of culture. There was also somebody that said, I feel like the culture at our church, you guys don't really welcome hand raising in worship, and I really want to raise my hands, but I don't because no one else does. And that bummed me out. I'm like, man, like, if you want to raise your hands, please raise your hand. If you want to sit down and like just sit in like the presence of God during worship, sit down. If you want to like wave a giant ribbon and run down the aisles, let's talk about it. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I got to see the length of that ribbon. I don't know if like... We have the proper aisle space. But, like, the culture of worship, like, what does that even mean? That, that, I have to ask this. I want to continue going deeper into this because we're only three years old. We're like toddlers. We're not that far in front of you guys. We're toddlers in this church planting thing. And you guys are what, not even a year yet. Yeah, you're infancy age. So there's grace if we don't have things perfect and we're not perfect in like what we want our culture to be. There's so much grace. But you know what? As we're defining where we are currently, I think it's important for us to know where we should be headed. Does that make sense? Like here's where we were today, but where should we be going? And this is what um, Paul does really beautifully in Romans chapter 15. He, he kind of unpacks, this is where we should be headed as a family. And I love that we're doing this as a family of churches. Like, we're not doing this individually as just each lonely families or or churches, but we're doing this as a family of restored churches. It's really cool. And so Romans 15, we're going to be in verse 1. I'll read it all at once, and I'm going to break it down for us a little bit. Romans 15 says this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That sounds really, like, deep, so I'm going to break this down in like three very simple points for us today. Um, and this is what I'm doing. I'm basically defining what it means to create a culture of grace based on these scriptures. So the first way Paul does this in, in verses 1 and 2, he's, he basically says the w- first way to cultivate a culture of grace is through our service and through our suffering. Through our service and through suffering. Look at uh, verse 1 and 2. It says this, We who are strong 
have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, not to build, to build him up. The key word to look at is strong and weak. Strong and weak here doesn't mean physically strong and physically weak. It also doesn't mean those who are like strong-minded and those who are weak-minded. It doesn't mean that either. And it definitely doesn't mean those who us, of us that are like successful, you know, like strong in life, and it doesn't mean those who fail. It's not contrasting those things. When Paul says, we who are strong, you know what he's saying? He's saying, we who understand that we are powerless, but yet have the power of God. We who are unable to save ourselves, but are saved by God. We who are dead, but are made alive in Christ. Those of us who actually grasp that we are weak, but made strong in Christ, we are to bear with those who do not understand that yet. Those of us who get the goodness of the gospel are to bear with those who do not get that goodness yet. They do not grasp that yet. So let us serve them and build them up and not serve ourselves. Why? Why should we do that? Why should we, the church, serve others and do good? I know it's a simple question. Why should we do good? I did a few like, um, research points, and I wanted to get some quotes from some famous people. And I, this is one of the first ones that popped up. Uh, I don't know if I made a slide. Uh, did I make a slide for this? Oh, yeah. Thomas Jefferson said this. I believe that every human mind feels pleasure in doing good for one another. My response when I read that was like, duh. (laughs) Only because we know now that our brain, when we do something good, when we do something that's selfless, our brain produces like serotonin and dopamine and endorphins that brings pleasure to our brain and it plays into us wanting to do that again. Like, oh man, that felt really good. I'm gonna do that again. What do you guys want me to do? Need me to pack chairs? No. It's just like, then I came across this one, like, which is a, probably a little bit more contemporary. It's by Mark Wahlberg. He says, I did a lot of things I regretted and certainly paid for my mistakes. You have to go and ask for forgiveness, but it wasn't until I started doing good and doing right by people as well as myself that I really started to feel that guilt go away. So now I don't have a problem going to sleep at night. See, if doing good gets rid of guilt and promises, like, perfect sleep, sign me up for the next beach cleanup, right? I mean, Paul, when he wrote this, didn't answer that question by giving some cliche slogan, like, be kind and rewind. You guys remember Blockbuster? You guys remember that? That was my first job. That was my first job. Nobody ever rewinded. No one. That slogan never worked. The Blockbuster gospel came up short every time. Paul doesn't go into other reasons like, I want you to do good because it feels good. I want you to do good because you won't feel shame or guilt anymore. I want you to feel good so you sleep better at night. The reason why Paul says you need to, do, you need to serve and suffer is because of verse 3. In verse 3, if you go back to Romans, it says this, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That last part, that reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, Jesus is saying, everybody that hated you, God, all of that hate and anger and frustration and bitterness and resentment that was towards you, I took it on my shoulders. I did that. I took that. All that hate, all that anger, I took it on. I mean, it says this in a beautiful way, in a different way. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, um, I don't know if I have that, but it says this in Philippians, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus unselfishly valued others before himself. He looked to other interests before his own, became nothing except a servant, and willingly suffered death on a cross. So what does that mean for you and me? So as we serve Jesus who served us, we are called to serve others in the same posture. This is one of the reasons why I despise the prosperity gospel. You guys know what that is? The prosperity gospel is when people are preaching in churches that God doesn't want you to suffer or be poor or to be unhealthy. Like, so if you're unhealthy or you're poor or you're suffering, it's probably your fault because God really wants you to be rich and he doesn't want you to have disease. And yes, God wants to heal, but, and he wants you to, to thrive in life. But think about Jesus. Did he remove all pain and suffering from his own life? Did he prevent being hung on a cross and suffering a death that he didn't even deserve? He was, his own life was not free of hardship and suffering. And so instead of preaching this prosperity gospel that God doesn't want you to, I think he wants us to endure and get through it with his power. Does that make sense? That's crazy. And that does not, that's not what the Bible talks about when it comes to suffering. See, with, I, well, I want to go transition to the next thing that Paul talks about when he talks about cultivating a culture of grace. He says, one, number one, through service and through suffering. Number two, through scripture. It says, simple, through scripture. Verse four says this, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. See, the Bible talks about suffering not only because suffering is a reality, but also because the Bible actually promises to give hope, endurance, and encouragement in the midst of it all. Does that make sense? It doesn't just talk about the reality of suffering. It actually gives you something to get through it all in the midst of it. I've served in full-time ministry for a while now. Like I started in 2004, right out of college at SDSU. And I've been honored and privileged enough to be invited into some of the darkest and heaviest times of people's lives. I mean, I've wept and prayed with young people who have been shunned and rejected and kicked out of their parents' homes because they became Christian. They knew if they got baptized, they'd be potentially banished from their entire families, and they did it anyway. I've been honored to sit with families in the hospital rooms who have to unplug the machines from their loved ones and witness that person's last breath here on earth. I've sat on couches and floors and tables at Denny's in the wee hours of the night as they share with me that they're struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts, extreme loneliness, secret addiction. And me and Monique have held the hands of people that have had multiple miscarriages in a community where it seems like they're really alone. And before you guys think that, oh man, like Danny, you must be really good at being empathetic and compassionate. Guys, there is nothing I have to say 
that has any power, any ability to give people hope except for this. This is all I got. This is what I walk into the hospital rooms. This is what I walk into the people's living rooms. This is what I go in when I sit at Denny's with people. And I don't even know what I'm going to say. I don't, you know, like Tom knows this feeling like, man, well, what are we going to bring? This is all we got that actually has the ability to bring encouragement and hope and endurance in the midst of suffering and brokenness. Makes sense. And guess what? I'm not the only one that got this. You got the same thing. So what does it look like when, we, when, we, when he talks about this? Building a culture of grace based on scripture. There's real power in this. James says suffering make, makes us aware. In James 1, it says suffering makes us aware of our weakness and that we need to depend on God. First Peter chapter 2 says suffering makes us trust God more in his goodness instead of the goodness of our circumstances like you were talking about in the beginning. Romans 5 talks about suffering strips away things from our lives that we try to find our hope and security in instead of Jesus. And then Hebrews 12 talks about how suffering makes us not look at this earth, but we look at something else that has actual hope and endurance in heaven. We have something to look forward to beyond this. Thank God. This This is it. This is why Paul says, man, we have scripture to build into our lives, to look for with power and endurance. Amen? And the last thing that Paul talks about when cultivating a great, a culture of grace, he talks about our shared mission to God, a shared mission to God. Check out the language that Paul uses in, in verse 5 through 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. There's this oneness, this unity in the mission of God. As I was preparing this sermon, I went ahead and did some research of some of the best companies in the country to work for. And some of them had, who who has the most fantastic work culture? And here's uh, what entrepreneur.com and Entrepreneur Magazine um, put together uh, for this specific list. It said top five was Chevron, despite their gas prices. Um, Twitter is another famous one. Southwest Airlines, despite some of your guys' experiences with airline people, but they've been tremendous, like in like getting us home multiple times. Another one, uh, this is where my glasses are from, Warby Parker. You guys know where, what Warby Parker is, a glass, glasses company? And the number one, the one on their, their list was, what's that? Perceptics. <laughs> was actually uh, Zappos. Do you guys know what Zappos is? Zappos is a shoes company. Zappos.com, you can buy shoes, uh, all, all brands. But this is what all of those companies had in common. They knew their shared mission in achieving their goals, and they knew what their company culture was about. Zappos, this is how much value they have about their their culture. They said, if you get hired and you realize, hey, I'm not really fitting into this culture, I will pay you, me, Zappos, and you're my employee, I will pay you $2,000 to quit. That's what they're, they're willing to do. Like, give it two weeks. If after two weeks you've decided that this is not for you, please just quit. We'll give you $2,000 up front. I'm like, can we just like try it out? Can we just try? <laughs> like, sorry guys. If this, this is why I'm bringing this up. We would never do that as the church. Because like, imagine if people are just like, mm, I'm not fitting in here. Where's my $2,000 check? <laughs> right? I'm like, oh my gosh. The reason why we don't have to do that is because we're different. 
instead of having to fit into the church's culture, it's the culture of the church that allows every person to fit in in the first place. That's what Paul is saying. It's, it should be flipped, is that they don't have to fit into here. Our culture is that we allow them to fit in in the first place. Church, look around in this room, and you walk into any of the resources or any church, really, but I want you, in this specific room, some of us in this room have no church background. Some of us grew up Catholic. Some of us came from cults. That's true of our church. Some of us have slower acoustic musical worship preferences. Some of us like the fast, energetic, soulful music type. Some of us like love being up front. Like the, I, I'm not one of those people. I actually like being in the back. Like I'm just like I, I prefer not to. It's actually something that God has really been stretching in my own heart. Some of you love like in-depth word Bible study, and some of you are like, is like Greek a salad? Or is that like just a, is that, oh yeah, there's, there's Greek root words, right? All of us are different. All of us have different personalities. All of us have different preferences. And yet, the church's culture is guided not by us, but by that, the word of God, by him, by Jesus, by the gospel. All of us are able to fit in because he allowed that. We fit into his kingdom because of what he did. And the shape that we're trying to fit into is his. So people don't have to fit into ours because it was him that allowed us to fit with him. Do you get that? So I'm kind of passionate about this because I know this is true at our church and other churches. I've heard it. People like hop around because they feel like, mm, I didn't fit in. I came and I just, I don't know, I just didn't feel like I, I, I fit in. But when you understand that the only reason we fit into the kingdom is because of Jesus, then where in that kingdom shouldn't matter as much. I mean, some people think that a church's culture is defined by their preaching style, their music style. If people put their hands up in the air, if they don't, if people like respond. You guys notice that Tom is always like, amen, that's good, Danny. That's good, Danny. I like that. I, sometimes people in my church are just like, hmm, hmm. Sometimes I want people to tell me to, like, I, I love in, like, black culture in their churches, they actually say, shut up, shut up. That means I like that. I like that. <laughs> so I wish I tell, trying to tell people, I'm like, can you tell me to shut up sometimes? I don't mind that. I like it. It means that you're engaged. But even that, guys, that doesn't define a church's culture. That's just nuances. God's creative. God created all things. There's all these different types and personalities and aspects of even his personality that we're going to manifest but that doesn't define our culture. You know what defines our culture? In one word, grace. Said it already. So what do I mean by that, guys? Again, we were undeserving of God's love, and he loved us anyway. We were undeserving. I know my heart. I know that I'm not, oft, I'm not a perfect husband to Monique. I do not parent my kids perfectly. I have lost it way too many times that I, have, I can count. I've repented to both of them. I don't always want to do the right thing. My heart is wretched, but I'll do it. But it's always like, man, like God, am I going to get blessed because of this? You know, that kind of attitude, like it's a transaction. I know I don't deserve God's love, but he loves me anyway. When we sit in that, that should bleed into how we interact with people, not just on Sundays, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, at your workplaces, in your children's classrooms, in your, cl- in, in your classrooms, at the marketplace, your favorite barista. Here's the thing. The culture of grace doesn't happen, though. It just doesn't happen. 
You and I cannot simply just decide, you know what, I'm going to be nicer now. I'm just going to be nicer, and you know what, I'm going to suffer more. I'm going to serve better. I'm going to be more committed in the shared vision. You might be able to motivate yourself for just a little bit. Maybe you'll try harder for a little while, but the truth is because of our sin, we are naturally self-centered and lazy. Does that make sense? Thankfully, I love that God doesn't leave us hanging here. God speaks through Paul in this next verse. He says, the way the culture of grace happens is by remembering something. It starts by remembering something. It's in verse 7. It says this. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We must never forget that Christ welcomed us with open arms. Us, who were unlovable and were enemies of God, according to the Bible, who rejected God and rebelled against him. Us, who found more hope and comfort and security in ourselves and our money and our jobs and people. Christ welcomed us despite us. So therefore, we get to do the same. And that's how we glorify God. Here's what I, I, I want us to think about. But, but before, I, can I call up the, the worship band to join me up front? We're going to close with this thought. When we're ending on this thought of glorifying God, I want us to get a, a, a picture. And I wanted to share with you uh, one of the most memorable breakfast mornings I've ever had. It recently just happened. Um, I had a day where I just recently, was like about maybe a month and a half ago, I invited the elders and their wives, like, well, can we just spend an entire day together, every meal? And I was like, guys, pick your, your favorite restaurant. And Chris Crisologo and Chris Priscilla um, told us about a restaurant called Shore, Kitchen, Shore House Kitchen in La Jolla. I don't know if you guys have ever been to this place. It's in La Jolla in downtown area. They picked it, and they said, you're going to have to try this breakfast sandwich, whatever. So we go, as we're waiting for our food to come out, you know who rolls by, like right by us, and then goes into our restaurant? I almost, I almost did not restrain myself, only because Jackson loves this guy. It was John Cena. John Cena walked in. I, do I have pictures? Did I bring it? I thought I did. Dude, he's right there, and he caught us. He caught us trying to be, like, sly. You know, like, where you're too shy to ask a celebrity for a shot? Like, this is, can you show the, the, the whole picture? Um, I thought I had it with Chris holding a sandwich. But that wasn't, we weren't trying to make it look like we were taking a picture of him. It was actually of Chris holding the sandwich, and he caught us anyways. That's how embarrassing, embarrassed we were. We're like, oh my gosh, he totally saw us, guys. Just act, act normal, act normal. <laughs> like, we're totally, do you guys know who this guy is? He's like a professional wrestler. Now he's an actor. The reason why it was a big deal, it wasn't just because of, like, I knew who he was. Jackson loves him. Like, as soon as I told Jackson about it, he was like, did you do this? Did you do this? And I'm like, no, I didn't. That's his thing, whatever. Um, but here's why this was memorable for us. It's not because of John Cena sitting right there. It was this sandwich right here. Guys, I am not kidding you. This is the best sandwich I have ever. That's cheese, guys. <laughs> cheese dripping off of that thing right there. And what it is is a maple glazed fried chicken sandwich in a brioche bun with a fried egg in it. And I don't know what kind of cheeses were in there, but it also had like a, ma- a maple aioli in it, I looked everywhere for it. I can't find it. And as I was, and the reason why it was so good, I, I was doing a cleanse for two months before I had this. So my palate was super dry. I bit into this, and she knows. I felt, did a tear come out of my eye? I was like, oh my God. 
<laughs> it was one of those feelings where every time I have family visiting, we're going to take him here. You know, like where you're like, I'm excited to bring people here. They have to taste this for themselves. Do you guys know what I just did with that sandwich? I just glorified that for you. I just put so much value and meaning and excitement that hopefully you're going to go to this restaurant and ask for that maple glazed fried chicken breakfast sandwich. Shorehouse Kitchen, I'm telling you. I just glorified that for you. I want you to taste that for yourselves. Should we not be doing that with Jesus? Should we not be glorifying the gospel and the goodness of the good news in such a way we're like, guys, you have to taste this for yourself. You have to try this for yourself. It's unforgettable. It is life-changing. Somebody went to the restaurant recently, and they tried it after every dinner. They were like, sorry, D, my life is still the same. <laughs> I'm like, just lie to me. <laughs> Guys, we have the best news in the world. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we should be the most joy-filled people there is because the creator of the universe loves us despite us. We should be the most comforted people there is because we know despite how bad things get, there is a God who is always in control despite how things feel or look like. We should be the most generous people there is because we know God loved us so much that he sent his only son to come and die a death we ultimately deserved. So church, I end with this question. What does this mean for us as the church family? What does this mean for you personally, not just as a large church, but you as an individual? Maybe that means spending time with people you really struggle to like. Because it's easy to hang out with people we like. But maybe God's saying, hey, what would it look like for you to pursue people that get under your skin a little bit, that frustrate you, that are not easy, but challenge you? Maybe this means that you're going to have to forgive someone that hurt you because Jesus forgave you. Maybe that means blessing people with your money regardless if you think they really deserve it. For us, I challenge our gospel communities. You guys cannot stay together anymore. Some of you have been together for rounds. Maybe that means splitting up so that we welcome other people into this family. They can experience grace and joy and mercy, but they can't get in because you guys are so stuck together. Maybe that means praying for difficult people more instead of just complaining about them. See, as we go into this time of musical response to Jesus, I just want to invite you. Ask the Holy Spirit, what does it look like for me to cultivate a culture of grace in my own life as I follow Jesus, even when it's hard? Because when we're doing that individually, I guarantee you that's going to cultivate a culture of grace here as a family. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for what you're doing here at Restored Church Temecula, what you're doing in this city. Thank you for calling this people at this very time, at this very place, with great intention and purpose. God, for those of us where the gospel has become bland, would you reinvigorate our taste buds for it? Would we remember the goodness and savoriness of the gospel in such a way that we want to invite people to the dinner table? 
But God, would you also expose in our hearts in ways that we've been settling for moldy bread and lukewarm water where we haven't been sitting at the banquet table of your grace. God, we want to sit there today. We want to sit there right now as we worship you in response to what you've already done. Thank you, God, for living the perfect life we never could, for making up for all of our failures and shortcomings and mistakes and sin so that we could have what you have, a seat at your Father's table, allowing us to fit into your kingdom. As we remember that for ourselves, would we be changed in such a way that invites other people into that? We love you, Jesus, for who you are and all that you've done. It's in your name we pray, the family said. Amen.